Ah, hello, Pathway. Uh, my name is Ryan Brubaker. Oh, it's an honor to be here. That's a good-looking church, man. You guys are, you guys are great-looking. What a wonderful worship team, right? Amen. Amen. Oh, man. Seriously incredible. The production team, the unsung heroes of the church. Every yeah, amen. This is just an incredible honor to be here with you guys. Now, I do have to apologize. Uh, Pastor Brian way overspoke me, man. He, uh, so pre- prepare to be way underwhelmed. I apologize. But uh, uh, you made me sound way cooler than I am. So I apologize. The next 30 minutes is going to be quite boring. Um, but look, I actually want to brag on your pastor for a while. Uh, I came from the same small area. Now, here's the thing. We have a glorious beginning. I met him at a Dairy Queen on accident in line, right? Oh, it's an anointed place, right? It's the Lord's chosen place. And so, but what I have, the reason I knew him was just a kid at the time. He was on the front page of our newspaper, he came in to Southwest Michigan, a bunch of old Germans, and then an African-American community came in, and this couple made so many waves, they plastered them on the front of the newspaper. Now, this in our area, that does not happen. He came into an area, and they basically martyred themselves for, what, 14 years? Right? I met him. His hair was not gray, man. We did that to him, all right? <laughs> His wife looks great, though. I mean, she, you know, she, you know, she, she's aged beautifully, right? And him, not so much. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just, does anybody else see the Matt Damon on him? Does anybody get that? Yeah, right? It's uh, yeah. the better looking version here, right? But um, he came in and he martyred himself, and they did a work that our area has never seen or experienced before. Look, we deal with thousands of pastors from around the world. And this couple, they don't think like normal pastors. Like if he, if, if you guys kick him out of here, he's going to go start a business and it'll be Fortune 500 CEO one day. I mean, it's just, so you get him or the world gets him. He is a treasure. This man is, is just brilliant. And I'm excited to see what God is going to do here at Pathway. Amen. Through, through not only his leadership, but yeah, amen. And so we are honored to be here with you guys. Thank you for the invitation, really. I, I love it. Now, I, I, do, I come from the frozen tundra of, of Michigan right now. It's, it's all gray and snow. We were driving here in Florida, and I was like, what's that big yellow thing in the sky? It's hurting my eyes, you know? I haven't seen it in months. And so, uh, man, this is just a beautiful community. The people are, like, ridiculously friendly. Like, coming from Michigan, I'm like, are you making fun of me? Like, are you, uh, you're being nice. Why? What do you want? I'm just <laughs> And so, look, I feel the Lord calling me here. If you have a job opening. And so, so anyway, um, as he said, my name is Ryan Brubaker. You can go to the first slide there. Um, yeah, this actually, oh, man, we, this is old. Just in the last few days, we announced our 10th nation. Um, amen. Yeah, we are. So this is old, I apologize, like a week old, so you're not getting fresh information here. Anyway, um, I do hear you guys have a very, very vibrant online community, and so unfortunately, I can't share like any place names. I wish I could give you the juicy details of what's going on and the type of people that we're working. Um, if you really are curious, you can meet me out back afterwards. Um, I'd love to share some information. We're working primarily, 100% actually, in areas that have yet to hear the gospel. So today in our world, 2,000 years after Jesus gave us the Great Commission, a quarter of the world, 2 billion people on this planet have not heard the name of Jesus Christ for the first time. Like in that sentence, I just said Jesus more than they've heard it in their lifetime, right? And so we set out, we said, we have got to change that. So we said, I'm a major nerd. I love maps. We set out, we said, we have got to finish the Great Commission. So I set out and set 700 different maps of exactly where churches need to be planted so that every person on earth has access to the gospel in their language, their culture, and their area. So our end goal, we want to see 1.6 million brand new churches planted across 33 nations. Amen? Amen? So to date, what we started in 2015 with a handful of churches in Nepal, we've now planted 5,000 new churches. What started off as an incredibly humble movement, uh, we didn't know what it was when we started. Now we're the largest denomination or movement in four countries. When COVID is over, that'll, that number will jump to eight. It's just been an incredible growth to see people who've never heard the name of Jesus Christ now worshiping the Lord 
in their language, in their culture, in their area. It's not, it's not Americans going, it's the national church reaching their own nations. Amen. So right now, this week, we have 100,000 people worshiping, every, attending our services every single week. And these people, brand new to the faith, eager to grow in the faith. We have a saying, we borrowed it. Uh, every, every, uh, every believer, a church planner, and every church, a training center. Amen. So I see in front of me, I see a whole room of, of people who are going to impact Vero Beach and beyond. Amen? This room right here is a training center for people to be sent out. So just very briefly, I want to share, you can go to the next one there, just our two newest kind of movements. I'm not here to plug our ministry. Look, I know you guys are just off of fast. You're like, speed it up. I want to go get lunch, you know? <laughs> and so I'll make it. We're all done. Amen. <laughs> um, now, we launched the movement in Mongolia. Now, in this nation, it's the last nomadic nation on earth. Three million people, one and a half million of them still pack up their house, and they constantly move around. And so the logistics are an absolute nightmare. We're going to begin sending church planners by horseback all over the country. When COVID is finished, we will have churches in all 23 states within the first month. That is how fast the movement is primed to spread across the nation, reaching nomadic Buddhist people. Uh, people groups. And now the next one that we launched, unfortunately I can't share the name, it's called the Abraham Initiative. What we're doing is we're creating multiplying presence across the Middle East, just like Father Abraham, right? We want to see that growth starting small and continue to expand. So now we just launched the other day our fourth nation in that region. And so uh, once again, I can't share the names. Incredible work uh, that is taking place. Every nation across North Africa and the Middle East is written by law if leaving the Islamic faith is punishable by beheading. And so those are the places that God is continuing to move and see an expansion. Amen. Those are our brothers and sisters in Christ who are asked. We have not yet seen a martyr in our movement, but it is very likely with these expansions, these new branches, that we're asking someone somewhere to march to their death to preach the gospel. And that is not something we care later. So please, cover them in prayer as they move forward and they continue to expand the gospel, amen? It's, it's them or us having to go, right? They are there on the front lines reaching their nations. So they need your prayers, amen? All right, look, I want to preach. I'm here to share a word. I want to share what, what God is doing all over the world, but also I want to share a word that I believe, like Pastor Brian said, it's great for the time that we're in here in the U.S. You can go to the next one there. It's called Peacemakers. All right? So we come back every few years. We travel and we preach around the country. And we come back to the States. And this year what we're calling it, we're calling it our Forrest Gump summer. Has everybody seen Forrest Gump? Right? Kind of a bumbling guy. And he, he witnesses history accidentally. And, and that's how this summer has been for us. I and mean, this has been crazy. So we came back. It was supposed to be a three-month, 30-state, 40-church uh, preaching tour. And so we were like jet-setting all four corners. We went from the Atlantic to Pacific. We literally stood at the Can Canadian border. We stood at the Mexican border and everywhere in between. And we saw weird snippets of history. Uh, and so this has been a, a chaotic year, right? This has been just a, a very unique year for the country. And so it's, uh, we, we uh, landed in Florida back in July, and it was the day it was announced. This is a great honor for Florida. You guys were the world headquarters of COVID. Like, you were, like, breaking records. Like, everyone's like, man, COVID's bad, and Florida's like, hold my drink, you know? Like, <laughs> right? Yeah. We'll show you how to get COVID, man. We're going we're gonna to lead the way, right? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Florida's an adjective, by the way. The rest of the country's like, that's so Florida, right? <laughs> and everybody knows what it means, you know? <laughs> but, and then, so we land in Arizona a few weeks later, the day they announced the World COVID headquarters, right? That was, and then, and then we go to Seattle, and we saw CHOP. You guys remember CHOP, the autonomous zone? They, like, took a portion of it. And then we go to Portland, right? And we watched the wall. We literally watched them welding the wall between the federal building and the rioters. So the rioters, they had, they had bullet holes in their cars. I mean, it was crazy. And so we were literally on the front grounds. And then in San Diego, this is so random. I was in San Diego walking around, beautiful city, walking around, and there's a boat, right? A, 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 like a naval yard. And I, and I took pictures of this boat, you know? And, and I'm like, oh, my sons would love this. And, and then I, I, I land in the next city. And by the time I landed, that boat had exploded and killed 21 sailors. 
Man, it's crazy, right? And then I'm in Dallas, Texas. Man, I'm hanging out in Dallas, beautiful city down there, walking around the downtown. All of a sudden, I hear this, this chanting from a stadium. And then all of a sudden, Trump, this, this huge, massive Trump rally, they blocked the downtown for 30 minutes. I mean, I'm stuck. I had a meeting. I'm like, oh, great, man. You know what? That was two weeks after a presidential election. There's a presidential rally. Like, what other year would that happen, right? And so listen, man, if like we just landed in Tampa the other day, so like Tom Brady breaks his leg, like I'm really sorry, guys. Like that's all I mean, right? Yeah, I apologize. If they lose, it's, it's our fault. Calamity seems to be following us. But the reason I say that is because this is, this is a chaotic year, right? Now imagine like if last year I'd have been like, if you're not wearing one of these, you could be murdered. You'd be like, what are you talking about, right? This is a state of chaos right now. Right? And, and, and here's the thing is that the way the media is portrayed, the way politicians have portrayed it is this is all new issues. The problem is these are, these are cyclical problems that have happened generation to generation. The reason is is because we wanted to throw secular band-aids at them, right? You know, we'll throw money at it, right? We'll vote our way. And so you just throw the band-aid on the wound. But like I have two little boys. What happens when, you, when they have a wound? You take it off and what do, you, what do they do? They like, they poke it, right? And boys are disgusting, right? They just, you just want to poke the wound and, and, what, and, and that pain feels good, right? And then I guess when you lock people in their houses for like three, four months, people start just poking wounds and all of a sudden these things that have been generational come to the surface, right? And so we're standing back and we're saying, what on earth is going on? But here's the thing is, we were given a commission by Jesus to be the remedy, correct? We were, we were given, the, we've never applied the church to those. It's always been politics or finances, correct? And so now it's the job of the church. You can go to the, the next slide there. Jesus gave us the Beatitudes, right? Um, who, who's read the Beatitudes before, right? Who's read all nine of them? Ah, there's only eight. Oh, you ah, tricked you. You need a VBS. <laughs> oh, you guys are good, man. You're overzealous. You're like, I know all nine of them, right? Yeah. And so um, uh, here's the thing is that these teachings, man, we've had 2,000 years to mull over these teachings. We've created a Judeo-Christian culture largely based off of the teachings of Jesus. But here's the thing. I want to go back in history. I want to show you when Jesus actually delivered these Beatitudes, these would have been so radical. They would have been borderline heresy, and they definitely would have been offensive. You would have heard these. Can you imagine being offended by the Beatitudes? We're like, oh, that's good. That's, we'll paint them on our nursery wall because these are great. When Jesus delivered these, these would have been so offensive to the people. And so I want to I go back in history. I want to paint a quick picture of why Jesus' teaching here would have been incredibly radical. So we're going to go back all the way. You have the, the Jews, right? The Jews, they're walking through the desert after the ten plagues. Everyone knows where I am, right? We all know that one. No tricks on this one. Don't worry. We're all, we're, the Jews are walking through the desert for 40 years, and they come to the edge of Canaan, right? They come to the edge of Canaan, and God says, that's it. That's your land. Who's been to Israel before? Yeah? It's, it's real ugly land, man. I like, I've, maybe it's better than the Sinai Desert, but like you go to Israel, it's not a beautiful land. And so Joshua is telling these young men, he's like, all right, that is the land that we're going to take. And they're like, I can picture, they're like, Joshua, okay, there's a lot of them, and we've like walked through the desert. How do we take it? And he's like, okay, listen up, guys. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go in. We're just going to kill them all. And they're like, whoa, whoa, that escalated very quickly. Like, you're see, we're, all of a sudden, we're walking through the desert. Now, we're basically committing genocide to take over this land. And so you picture these young men. They go in, and they just, bam, they wipe them out by the sword, right? They, they take them out by the sword. Everything they don't kill, they, they burn, they destroy, because God wants to start fresh in order to one day get to the Messiah. So then let's fast forward a little bit. So the Jews, they've settled the land of Israel. And then geopolitically, you look, the biggest empire that had ever existed at the time is the Babylonians. The Babylonians, they have like bad blood for the Jews. They're like, we are, we're coming for you. Like little land, we are going to get you. And so they're terrified. So what happens? The sword comes. They wipe them out. They bring them back to modern-day Iraq, to Babylon. And they live as, as, as second-class citizens, absolutely horrible, man, just treated incredibly bad by the Babylonians. But then what happens? 
Then an even bigger empire rises up. The Assyrians come, right? And the Assyrians have an even bigger sword. And they come, bam, they wipe out the Babylonians. They take out the Jews, man. And once again, they're living under even worse masters. So you see sword to sword to sword. And then the progression just continues. The Persians take over the Assyrians. The Greek takes over the Persians. All of a sudden, you get to the Romans. And the Romans, man, the Romans are just atrocious. They are the worst masters, one of the worst regimes in history, man. And here's the thing is they, they treat the Jews like little playthings, like little toys. They just, bam, no culture, man. You, you act out of line, you're, you're killed. Slaves, servant, it doesn't matter. You have no rights in the Roman Empire. Now here's the thing. I want to go back to the Babylonians because this is when they're taken captive and they're living as second-class citizens and all of a sudden, God starts speaking through his prophets, right? Starts speaking through his prophets. What does he say? He says a Messiah is going to come. A Messiah, right? Someone's going to come, and they are going to just, bam, put Israel back on the top. So I can picture little boys. I mean, you hear this, man. Imagine you'd be like little, little posters in your room, you know, like the Messiah, big, like, ripped chest, you know, the six-pack abs, like, like Pastor Brian here, you know? A man's man, yeah. <laughs> A true man's man, sword, you know, taken out, the biggest sword of all. Why? Because someone is going to come and wipe out the people who are destroying your people, right? And so then, all of a sudden, this is the, the mentality that people had that the Messiah was going to come and put Israel back on the top. So then Jesus comes on the scene, right? And people are like, okay, the Messiah, the Messiah is here, Messiah is here. All of a sudden, he starts his public ministry, he's getting famous, and people gather. And all of a sudden, he, he, he gives like his first big public teaching, right? And what does he say, man? He starts off, he's like, blessed are the meek. And, and I can picture they're like, the, wait, the what? You know, the, the, I think he said, the pow, blessed are the powerful. No, no, okay, okay, blessed are those who mourn. Ah, Jesus, I'm not really digging these, man. Like, where's, you know, blessed is the, the, the powerful, the rip, the sword wielding. And so he goes through this progression that would have altered the way they think. And then, they, then he comes to one. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. Now, now here's the problem with this, is that in their heads, they were looking for someone to overthrow the Romans. Because listen, he didn't give that to the Romans. He gave that to the Jews, right? He said, you have to look across the aisle at the people who are destroying you, and it's your job to make peace, right? Not, not to kill them, not to wield the sword, but to make peace. And so, now fast forward even more. I want to go a little farther, because in the disciples' lifetime, so what happens is the Roman Empire hates the Christians. They just hate them because they're, they're seeing revival all over the Roman Empire. And so what happens is that the, 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 the emperor just cracks down, man. One of his favorite ways to persecute believers. Absolutely, he loved to do this. He'd come into a church, he'd gather all the Christians, and he'd bring them to his compound. He'd have huge parties, man. But he wouldn't invite the Christians as guests. He would put stakes out on the lawn, tie them up, cover them in tar, and use them as, as, as living torches for his parties. I know it's one of his favorite ways. Now, here's the thing is, is you hear on the mountaintop, they have a literal mountaintop experience with Jesus where he says, blessed are the peacemakers. But within their lifetime, they are now having to look at the people who are taking their friends and murdering them. I mean, just flat out, we call it martyrdom. They're murdering your friends, and they're picking off the disciples one by one, trying to destroy your movement. And you remember, blessed are the peacemakers. It's my job. It's not their job. It's my job. They didn't go and try to apply a secular band. They tried to donate their way out of it or, you know, you know, have politics signs, you know, and not my emperor, you know, and, and, uh, and go and... and <laughs> <laughs> they didn't try to work their way out of it through secular ways. What they did is they saw in the greatest persecution the church has ever faced, they saw the greatest revival because they went and they made peace, right? Now you can go to the next slide there because there's a huge difference, huge difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper, right? Peacekeeping is incredibly easy, right? Oh, I'm, I'm America. I love it, man. Like, oh, they're fighting. Oh, they'll work. I'm keeping the peace. We'll just let it work out, right? But like, be honest, who's kicked the ice cube under the refrigerator, right? It's, it's easier than actually intentionally going and fixing a problem. But here's the thing is the early church had bravery. They had courage to go and aggressively make peace. They could have easily stood back and said, when the empire is done, when the emperor is dead, maybe it'll get better, right? They went and they made peace with the most vicious regime that had ever existed. And what happened was they turned it around from the inside out. 
Now, like I said, we come back to the States every two years, and so we get a, a snapshot of American culture, all right? Now, look, I, I've lost 102 pounds, all right? Yeah, 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 all right. I'm half the man I used to be, you know, I'm just going <laughs> to... Uh, but see, when you're gaining weight, like you don't realize it, you know, like, like it took me like 10 years to gain weight. But like, if you see someone after two years, they're like, oh, you're, you're getting fatter. And like, hey, you're getting ruder, you know. And so you like, you, you don't realize the direction. So we come back to the States every two years and we get a snapshot, man. It's just like, it like hits us in the face of how different it is than other parts of the world. And, and one of the things that is so shocking to me is the defeated attitude of the church. Man, it's like pastors, and, and not this pastor, not this church, I'm, every other church, all right? You know? <laughs> the one down the street is the one I'm talking about. But you hear this attitude that it's like, it's over, right? Oh, Jesus is coming back. America, uh, we went Democrat, we're, Jesus is coming back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's the attitude, <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's, but that's the, 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 the rhetoric that you hear, though, is, is it's over. Jesus is coming. It's, it's done because the church attendance in America is going down, and, and we're just, we've lost. How defeated of an attitude, Right? It's so funny because when people say, I want to pray for revival in these 35 nations that are, you know, the, among the, the, the 2 billion unevangelized, I'm like, don't pray for revival. Pray for revival because you can't bring something back to life that's never had its first life, right? This is the first time, 2,000 years, they're getting their first chance and we're like, it's over. The, the great American empire is over. Remember what if the early church would have gotten tied in with the politics of the emperor, Right? We would, have, we would not be here today. They saw a revival. I believe that churches like this that are hungry to see change, amen, are going to bring the peace to this community and beyond, amen? And so, now, Jesus was a Middle Eastern Jewish rabbi, all right? Uh, before that, does anybody like Cracker Barrel? I'm going somewhere with this. I, I, I know we're all fasting. You're like, oh, I'm so hungry. Everybody, yeah, every hand should go up, you liars. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's going to be the feast of the lamb in heaven, so get used to it. And so you go to Cracker Barrel, right? When you go to Cracker Barrel, you, you, you order like your, your French toast or whatever. Everybody gets mac and cheese. Like, and you're, you're, you get your 6,000 calories, right? And you, you, you sit and you, you slide all the plates together. And then like the person next to you, they slide all the plates together. And, and that's how you do it, right? And you just you just gorge, right, after this fast. Trust me, go slow. You've fasted for 21 days. You don't want Cracker Barrel right now. Um, so what you do is you sit, and, 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 and like my wife will reach her spoon into my mac and cheese. I'm like, back up off. Like, this is, I ordered this, back off, right? This is mine. You wanted more, you should have ordered. So when we moved to Asia, yeah, everyone knows the delayed laugh. All the husbands are like, amen, you know? And so... <laughs> When we went to Asia, what happened, though, is like we went to a restaurant, and my friend ordered like a weird bean thing, and I get chicken because I, I want chicken. And, you know, and so the food comes, and she reaches her spoon into my food. I'm like, listen, man, I, I don't know you that well. Back off. This is mine. You ordered that. And what you realize is, is we are very individualistic. It's so, we, we're so individualistic because even how we eat. And you go over there, they're community, and that's, that's how they eat. And so Jesus was a Middle Eastern Jewish rabbi. You cannot get more community-oriented than that combination. I mean, it is absolutely no more community-oriented than that. So when, when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, what he means, by definition, he means if your neighbor is not okay, then you, by definition, are not okay, right? Or if, if, if your race has not been racially profiled, but your neighbor's race has, you are suffering. If your brothers and sisters in Christ are being persecuted, even if you've never met them, you by definition, are being persecuted. And so it is our job as the church, not just the, you know, the American individualistic nature of I'm okay, they have to be okay. This is my experience. This must be their experience as well. When Jesus is talking, he's saying make peace. If the community is not okay, if this church, if the person next to you is not okay, you are not okay. It is our job as the church to go in and aggressively insert ourselves into the conversation and bring the peace of Christ. Amen? And now I want to share a few quick stories. Um, I'm, I'm going to make it fast. I, I'm surprised there's no uh, keyboard up here yet kicking me off. Um, you can go to the next slide there. Before I begin, though, your I want to brag on your church, okay? I know I just met you, but I want to brag on you. Is that all right? Is that okay? So I, I wrote this down. Yesterday, your church invested $5,000 into our movement, which, by the way, I'm so thankful, and we are honored by your investment. 
I, I didn't run this by Pastor Brian, so I don't know if he's sweating right now or so. I don't know. I can't tell. But anyway, so you guys gave $5,000, and I want to tell you exactly what you guys are doing around the world. Is that all right? Very quick. I'm, I'm going off the cuff here. I didn't rehearse this at all. I had to write it on my business card. Okay, have what you guys did personally. So $1,200, you guys adopted a state. $1,200 of the 5000 you guys adopted a state. We're going to decide which state of an unreached country you're going to take. What you're doing is you're providing the infrastructure to plant hundreds of churches. Usually within the first three months, we see about 100 churches planted in that state. And so that's, you guys paid for a whole year. And so you're going to see about 100 to 200 churches you're paying for all the coordination, all the travel, everything to make that possible. I'm not peddling whatever state you pick. I'm not going to go to another church and be like, hey, guess what? You guys, no, this is your state that you guys are impacting in another country. We'll, we'll decide which one. I'm going to let you guys pick, but that is your state. Now, with $1,000 of that, what we're going to do is, is we're going to take, we run a Bible college, and everything is translated and edited to a local context. So remember, I mentioned Mongolia. Well, you guys, $1,000, you guys are going to actually create the curriculum for the entire Mongolian church. Now, this is already the, the, the largest, all the people that have signed up, this is the largest Bible college in the country. We're in talk with a Dutch app company. They're going to release it on an app all over the nation. The movement's, uh, the Mongolian CEO actually runs the only Christian radio station in the country. Your content that you're paying to create will actually be broadcast almost 24-7 so that nomadic people can actually get the content from a radio station and attend a Bible college. Now, each student has to plant and pastor three churches before they graduate. You're talking hundreds. The entire Mongolian church, not just for our network, the Baptists, Lutherans, Assemblies of God, every denomination is actually going to utilize the program that you are creating with that $1,000. Amen? So every student, every church that's planted, every bachelor student that goes through this program is because of you guys. Amen? Now, lastly, amen. Yeah, applaud yourself. Go ahead. Be proud. <laughs> $2,800. What you're doing is you're actually investing and paying for some of those students in, in, in four countries to go through this program. So $35 pays for a bachelor's degree, internationally accredited bachelor's degree. Now, here's the numbers. You, you've provided bachelor's degrees for 80 up-and-coming pastors, 80 across four countries. Those pastors will plant 240 new churches, 240 churches as a graduation project. I mean, that's it. Those churches, we average out 25 people as 6,000 new believers who will be attending your churches, pathway, pathway campuses, you know, uh, Far East campus, you know, we'll say, uh, 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 6,000 new believers who will begin growing in their faith and, and, and being discipled by your pastors that you trained in your churches. Amen? So that is all because of you and your investment, and we cannot thank you guys enough. Amen? Very briefly, I want to share two stories of peacemakers. I want to share three ways that we as a church can actually become peacemakers. This, I want to share this first picture. This is actually from Pastor Brian's old church. They made this happen. Oh, you can go to the, the last. I want to share this picture real quick. You can go to the previous one if that's all right. Awesome. The picture in the middle. I'll skip the next one. The picture in the middle, what this is, this is a baptism service that is one mile from one of the largest terrorist organizations on the planet. Look, if they would have been found, they did this complete secrecy, if they would have found out the instant beheading for all the people involved during the services, actually, this is, like I said, this is what Pastor Brian accomplished from Overflow in Benton Harbor. They made this happen. During the services, the terrorist organization knocks on the doors. Everybody goes quiet, and they're fundraising for jihad. In, those, in, in, in that area. We're seeing that kind of growth in that area. And that is, that is not waiting for the terrorist organization to be gone. That is going in and seeing transformation. We've led so many people from this terrorist organization to Christ that we actually, they, they planted a fake taxi. They took them church to church to church. We've ticked them off. And they said, we're now going to kill all of your people. Luckily, we went underground. No one was martyred. But we're seeing that kind of fruit. That is not wait as a peacemaker. Amen. Amen. So we'll skip the next picture. I went a little over. Uh, you can go to the next slide there. The first step to becoming in peacemakers, reaching in to the conflict. All right. We need to learn as a church how to actually reach ourselves in, shake hands with the conflict, and see the resolution. Now, this picture was smuggled to us. This is from one of our campuses. Now, this city is the fifth most dangerous city on the entire planet. 
All right, day and night, rockets are literally being fired in all day from the mountains, the cities in a valley. And so all day you have these rockets being fired in. Now, now listen, if I'm going to plant a church, that's not high on my short list, right? Vero Beach or Rocket City, right? I mean, so you see, but the, the gospel is taking hold here. And so what this church did, this is the headquarters of numerous terrorist organizations are located in this city. And so they, on Christmas morning, they said, you know what? The gospel has got to go forth Christmas morning. They said, we are going to go into the streets and we are going to preach the gospel open air style. So they go out with a Bible into the market. Now, this is no exaggeration when you go. My, my kids could buy hand grenades uh, on the side of the streets here. And they decide to go there to preach the name of Jesus. What you see in the background is the tribal dress. You see some very confused men. This is the tribal dress of some of the fiercest terrorist organizations on the planet. All right, but this is not where the story ends. You can go to the next picture. The next slide. This picture is one of the churches. We now have 30 churches who are meeting in that city, all because a handful of our pastors went and said, we are going to reach the city for Christ. This picture was snapped two months after the church opened its doors in the fifth most dangerous city on the planet. These people have lost absolutely everything, their families, their jobs, but the room is full. They've since multiplied into more churches in that city. And that's still not where the story ends, though. Because then you look at the next picture. This, once again, was smuggled. This is a cohort of our Bible college that is meeting in that city. These people are literally studying to preach, to potentially march to their death. They've seen their pastors risk their life, and they said, I want to do the same thing. Now look, if, if the worship team asks you to come and help on the worship team, there is a 0% chance of martyrdom. Unless you're like a really bad singer. I mean, there could be, you know. But like, you come up here and you're safe. They are walking and serving Christ. Their idea of serving Christ is potentially being beheaded. Amen? That is not waiting for the conflict to be over. That is reaching yourself, inserting yourself into the conversation, seeing transformation in the fifth most dangerous city on the planet. Amen? I'm going to skip the next one. I'm running short on time here. You can go to the next slide there. Stepping into someone else's world. So one, we reach ourselves into, reach, our, uh, reach into conflict. Two is step into someone else's world. Now we launched an initiative last year called the Top of the World Initiative. There's 50 million people who live in the Himalayas, almost completely untouched by outside civilization. I mean, it's like real National Geographic stuff. It's like uh, Indiana Jones running around looking for a chalice type stuff. It's, it's completely untouched by the outside world, but and almost completely untouched by the gospel of Christ. So our goal is to send 1,000 church planters into the Himalayas. Now this picture was snapped. This is the first contact that was made with one of those ancient civilizations, lost civilizations. This pastor walked two weeks through the Himalayas. Two weeks through the Himalayas. That's not an easy journey to begin and go and preach the gospel. Now what we've seen is this tribe has begun to accept Christ, their first ever exposure to the gospel. Then what now they're doing is they're actually going and sharing the gospel with other tribes in their region. We've started a, a, a revival among these tribes where they're actually beginning to preach the gospel and see transformation among other tribes. All right, now you can go to the next one. This, this picture is uh, from one of our campuses in Nepal. All right, in South Asia, there's a phenomenon called rock smashers. If you are a rock smasher, you are the bottom rung of society. There is absolutely nowhere lower that you could go. If you are a rock smasher, your kid will be a rock smasher. Your grandkid will be a rock smasher. There is, is no way out. Human trafficking, widows, they lose their husband. They have no way, so they become rock smashers. It is the lowest of the low. Now, one of the churches in Nepal, they said, you know what, listen, the gospel is for everyone, correct? gospel is for all people. So they go and they befriend. They go into the rock smashing community, which no one will touch. In Hindu society, you don't touch the low, man. And so this church, they go and you can see in the pictures, they go, they begin to pray with them. They begin to share the work. They begin to share meals. They look at them in the eyes, right? They look at them in the eyes like humans. They give them that dignity back. 
And so they begin, and they, they, they begin preaching, and the, and the rock smashers begin coming to Christ all over. They begin preaching to the other rock smashers, and, and all of a sudden you see that picture is one of the churches of rock smashers. Where no one else would go, these people stepped into a very, very dirty world. The pastor says, we used to hear depression and crying out in the fields, because literally, here's what you do to be a rock smasher. It's the, the job description's in the name. You take a rock, you smash it, you put it in the bag, you do that a thousand times, you walk over, and you dump it, and you walk back, and you smash rocks like 15 hours a day. Man, you get a plate of rice at the end of the day. Now, what you hear now, when you hear misery, you hear them singing praise to Christ. Amen? They sing, their souls are redeemed. Now, here's what's really, here's what's awesome in the earthly sense. So they're a completely illiterate society, can't read a word. We're actually translating it. We're recording our Bible college material into audiobooks. Soon we're going to have rock smashers with bachelor's degrees. Amen? <laughs> right? <laughs> we're going to have pastors be raised up who can lead revival among other rock smashers with bachelor's degrees because someone stepped into another person's world. Amen? Now listen, we have rock smashers in American society, right? There are people outside the grasp of the church. I took a 40-hour Greyhound bus. Has anybody been on a Greyhound bus? Yeah? The only people who are on it are on the no-fly list, the federal no-fly list. I mean, it's, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I love Greyhound, trust me. But, I mean, the, the one lady got on, she, she's like, I haven't slept in three days. She put her head on my shoulder, six-year-old lady. She said, can, can, I, can, can I sleep while you watch my drugs? Make sure they don't find them. One guy was flipping through his phone, man. He had 12 felonies. He's like, oh, this one was so fun, man. This was awesome, right? Uh, I mean, it was, in, the lady behind me got kicked off in St. Louis because she was detoxing off heroin. Now look, if those people walked in the back of a church, right? Those are the rock smashers. Those are the ones that like, we, we've been trained to look around, right? But, but if we can step into their world, if we can actually go into their world and, and humble ourselves and become one of them, right? Look them in the eyes like humans. I'm not saying you don't. This is a great church. But there are people outside of the reach of this church that we have to go get. Amen? Amen. Now, go to the last one here. This is a church that believes in miracles, right? Yeah? Okay, I, I didn't know, you know, the frozen chosen. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I, I feel the spirit. I, I want to share two brief stories. I know I'm going over a little time here. I'll share two brief stories, all right? We planted a church in eastern Nepal. The last step is believing in the miraculous. Not even just believing, but acting upon the miraculous, all right? Uh, the first picture you see here, we planted a church in eastern Nepal two years ago. And, and it was, in Nepal, you walk a bunch of miles. It's just how it works. There's no roads out there. And so one of the families that lived three miles away every week would make, the, they accepted Christ, they'd make the three-mile journey through the Himalayas and then the three-mile journey back after church. Six-mile round trip, incredible amount of hours. I mean, six to eight hours, they'd be walking every single Sunday. Every person in the family but the father, his name was Kumar. All right, so the reason Kumar would not go was because eight years previous, he got in a horrible accident and he was a complete paraplegic. Had not taken a step in eight years. I mean, they would carry him around on a blanket. They had no hospitals out there. So they'd pick him up, put him down. They'd clean him. They'd wash him for eight years. And so he accepts Christ. The pastor goes out, accepts Christ. One, one of the time, uh, one Sunday, the family, they came back after church and they're like, you know what? We, have, we, we know Christ can heal. And so they go and they, they lay hands. They lay hands on Kumar and they start fasting and they believe, right? Fasting. Maybe not 21 days. They're not as hardcore as you guys. No, no, that's a long fast. So they begin fasting. They begin praying. And to their amazement, what he does, he stands up. Oh my gosh. Whoa. They start praising. Now, then he walks out into the village. Now, in a Nepali village, everybody knows everybody's business. So everybody knew Kumar was a paraplegic. And so when they see it, they're like, whoa, what God did this? Hindus have 330 million gods, so you can take your pick. 330 million gods. So they're like, which God did this? And begin preaching the gospel. And all of a sudden, man, people start coming to Christ. But here's the thing is Kumar, he's like, you know what? This is not enough. He said, I'm a believer who's never been to church, right? I, I'm not going to lie. That probably wouldn't be the first thing on my mind. That was the first thing on Kumar's mind. I want to go to church. And so he gets up the next week. And he begins the six-mile round trip as a man who had not taken a step in eight years. And this, he snapped this picture right there on the journey. You can see it's not a flat, beautiful Vero Beach coastal road. This is a rough journey a former paraplegic takes. Now imagine if someone who had been a paraplegic for eight years walked in the back of this building. 
we would never leave, right? We would, we would literally be here all the time. Now, why did God heal? Because I believe if he would have said, oh, it's my healing, right? I claim it in the name of Jesus for me. The thing is, he said, I want to do it as the evidence I want to do it for the edification of the church and the salvation of the world, right? And so if we believe for the miraculous, we act upon it, we can see peace made in communities. Now the last picture I want to share very quickly. This is a, a young man. His name is Raj. He's the son of one of our pastors in one of those terrorist-run areas. 23-year-old kid, great kid, got into a horrible car accident. Man. Piece of metal just, bam, right into his liver. You can see in the picture just right into his liver. So no ambulance in the area. So they throw him in the car and they drive off. They speed off to the hospital. By the time they get there, they take him into the emergency room and they did a scan on his liver. And it's just gushing blood. I mean, it's just, it's just gone. And so they're, okay, we have to do surgery. So they do a hemoglobin check. They check his blood levels. His level was at a two. All right, and so you want to be between a 13 and a 17. A 13 is where they start worrying about you. A two means you have almost no blood left in your body. So they pull the parents and they say, look, I'm so sorry, but your son, we have to do surgery on your son's liver. He, but he has so little blood. If we do surgery, he will not make it. You've lost your son. I'm so sorry. And so uh, the family, they, they begin to cry, but they call their churchmen. They call them all together. They have an all-night prayer meeting. And so you get all these brand new believers. I mean, these are brand new, brand stinking new believers. They come together and they pray all night, you know. And, and in the middle of the night, one of the, 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 a woman comes up to the pastor and says, Pastor, I had a vision, you know. And, and I can imagine a new Muslim believer, you're like, oh, let's, let's hear it, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested, let's hear it. And so she says, the Lord showed me he's pouring blood back into your son's body. Amen, amen. Okay, that's great. So the next morning they go, right? And they go and they, they get to the hospital and, and, and his son is still alive. Raj is still alive. And so the doctor, they're, they're amazed. So what they do is they go and they, they scan the liver, right? And the hole had sealed itself shut completely overnight. It just had sealed itself shut. No more blood coming out. So the doctor, they're like, okay, whatever. And so they take and they do a hemoglobin check. And his level had jumped from a 2 to a 10 overnight. And the Lord was pouring blood back into his body. And so the doctor, in a, in a, in a terrorist-operated area, he pulls the family aside and he says, listen, I have no clue what happened here. I don't need to do surgery on your son's liver, but even if I did, he has enough blood where he would survive. I don't know this. I don't know what happened. So the family, you know, well, let me tell you, amen, what happened, right? And they began, yeah, amen. Now, if they would have kept the miracle a secret, would the Lord have worked? Or if we as a church believe and act upon the miraculous, we take a step and we say, God, if, we don't, if you don't move, I'm going to look like a fool. That's where God does his best work. Amen? He's waiting on us. Now, very, uh, can we all stand for a second? Is that all right? I've been giving a challenge all over the country. Now, look, this is what your brothers and sisters in Christ are doing all over the planet, what God is doing. But first, I want to ask, if there is any person in this room, if there is any person watching online, you say, you know what, I, I have heard of this Jesus, I've, I've maybe even gone to church my whole life, but I've never seen him move in my life like that. I want to follow Jesus. Look, all these people have lost everything, but they would never regret, they never regret following Jesus. And so just, if you just close your eyes for us, I just want to ask, I have to ask, if there's anybody in here who says, you know what, today I want to give my heart, my life to follow Jesus. I want him to come and forgive my sins and cleanse me and make me. I just want you to raise your hand. Awesome. Awesome. And if you're online and you're watching, you say, I don't have that relationship with Jesus, I just want you to reach out to the church. I want you to type that in the, in the comments. Someone from the church is going to reach out to you and walk this walk with you and help you to grow in this faith. And it's the best decision you can ever make. Or you can open your eyes real quick. Now, I, this is the challenge I've been giving all over the country. Look, if you are willing this week, I'm not asking for a huge revival leading. I want, if you are willing this week to find one person, one person, and you insert yourself into the conversation by just saying, hi, my name is blank. I want you to say, God, I want you to pray and say, God, use this however you can. Is there anybody in here who's willing to meet one person this week to become a peacemaker and start the conversation? That's it. Wherever God wants to take it, God can take Is there any person, is there one person this week? Who's willing to reach out to one person this week? Amen. Man, that is so many. Listen. These people previous didn't know that they would be ending up being talked about all over the country, right? God can use 
your conversation, he can bring peace to this society. And I want to pray uh, over everyone. Is that all right? Can we pray to close out? Father, we thank you uh, just for an incredible church. Father, we thank you for a move of God that's happening here in Florida, Lord. And I pray that every person that raised their hand, Lord, I pray for divine appointments, Lord. You're not just working overseas. You're working here in the hearts of Americans. And I believe the best days are ahead for the church here in America. And the people who are leading the charge, Father, I pray that you would lead us to people who need peace socioeconomically, racially, spiritually, emotionally. Father, I pray that you would use the people here who are willing to reach out and to start the conversation. Use us, Father. Use us. We commit ourselves into your hands, Father. We want to emulate what you are doing all over the world. We want to see it happen here, Lord. Do it here, Father. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. to peace the storm surrounding me let it break at your name still call the sea to still the rage in me to still every wave at your name Jesus Jesus you make the darkness tremble
Jesus, Jesus Jesus is the answer, amen? Thank you, Ryan, and the movement. Thank you, CareNet. It is so encouraging to see that Jesus is the answer and his people in church are still on the move in this generation. Amen? I want to encourage you to connect with CareNet in the cafe if you're here in person. If you're interested in more information on the movement, shoot an email to hello at pathwayvb.com. Put in the subject line, the movement, and we'll make sure you get connected. Uh, You want to get on their email list or whatever that may look like. I want to encourage you to support them. Uh, He told you how those dollars get maximized. Amen? Wasn't that amazing? Uh, Most efficient model you'll see anywhere. It's incredible. Uh, Church, as you made a commitment to follow Jesus, to think about what that means, to be a peacemaker. I just want to remind you, God's going to put people in your pathway this week. And as we do that, one of the things that we get the joy of, if this is our regular church, is to celebrate when these lights are on back here. Amen? That means that in the last week, when the lights are on, somebody has come to faith. Now, the lights were off today, which means God was preparing you to go out and to share with somebody that needs to know Jesus' love. So I'm going to pray along those lines, and if God does give you an opportunity and somebody does receive Jesus, please let us know. Hello at pathwayvb.com. Amen? If you're a visitor, please come see us at the Welcome Center. We'd love to give you your next steps. Giving at the boxes and online. We're a little bit over today, but man, it was worth it, wasn't it? Thank you again for being here. Jesus, we love you and praise you and thank you for all that you are doing. Thank you for the reminder, if nothing else today, that you are so much bigger and so much greater than the little bubble that we call ours sometimes. Thank you for the invitation to follow you boldly and to live as peacemakers. I pray this week that we would love you and love all people in our pathway and live as those kind of people to step into conflict, and to be the peacemakers you've called us to be. Father, we love you. We pray blessing over CareNet and over the movement. Be with us as we go now and be the church. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. Amen. Have a great week.